0: Hello everyone. I'm Molly Molshine, and welcome to Diva Behavior. We have a really fun episode for you guys today. It's all about Courtney Love. She is certainly our first alt diva. She's our first rock star diva who we're going to be talking about. And my guest today is Keely Quinlan, Keely is a double threat. She is a rising music critic. She writes for Consequence of Sound and Stereo Gum. She's reviewing and writing about music all over the place. And she made the Diva Behavior theme song. Okay, is there anything this girl can't do? I haven't found anything yet. So it was very exciting to have her on here to talk about Courtney Love she is super knowledgeable about rock history. She gets into a lot of really interesting stuff about the Riot Girl movement, which came out of the Pacific Northwest around the same time that Courtney Love was getting popular. We started out talking a little bit about conspiracy theories and Keely definitely, you know, she got a little Gen Z on my ass, let's just say. I think, you know, she's She's let the YouTube algorithm get the best of her, and I say that with love. So there was a lot of <laughs> speculation in the beginning of the podcast, which I cut out. Basically, all you need to know is that a bunch of deranged people out there think that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain, her husband, And it's just there's just no way it's just definitely not true, but it's very popular on YouTube and it's just really irresponsible stuff to spread around because as we know, if we've been listening to the Diva Behavior podcast, people love to blame women for men's problems and Kurt Cobain's death is not Courtney Love's fault. But we tried to keep things light on this episode, so we didn't talk too much about it. You you will hear when the episode starts, we sort of come in at the tail end where I'm ranting at Keely about why everything she learned from YouTube about this situation is not true. <laughs> and then there was one other thing we didn't get to that I just found really interesting that I wanted to throw in. There are clips of Courtney Love after Kurt Cobain's suicide. She is grieving for him and she's talking about how all the baby boomers won't give the Gen Xers a break and they won't cut them a break. And and she doesn't understand why the baby boomers, who were so into their own counterculture, couldn't embrace the counterculture of Gen X, which was grunge and I just want to know why the baby boomers have to terrorize every single generation that comes after them follow me at molly mulshine on twitter and instagram follow keely at keely quinlan on twitter and instagram lana del rey follows her on twitter so obviously she's putting out some good content and follow diva behavior pod on twitter and instagram and please rate and review the podcast It's very important on Apple Podcasts and send it to people who might like it. I cannot stress this enough. And most of all, please enjoy the episode. I always loved Courtney Love, but it gave me a major newfound appreciation for her. She is a pop culture icon. She gives us such great stuff to talk about all the time. You know, I first discovered her through VH1 and MTV, sort of treating her more like a pop culture fixture than anything else, and then I later found out that her music is actually incredible. And she's been critically acclaimed basically throughout her whole career. She had one album that, that didn't do that well, but everything else she has put out has been, you know, it's been amazing. And she's been subject to a lot of sexism of people saying that Kirk Cobain was writing her music, and it's just not true. So if you want to have a great time also after you listen to this, go look up some of her best interviews on YouTube. It's really fun. She's got a great one with Howard Stern. Just go, go on a Courtney K hole, okay? All right, enjoy. Some people think Diva's a bitch. I never said that. Diva so nowhere, behavior. So nowhere, so nowhere, so nowhere. Great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. <laughs> of course, I don't trust you. Diva behavior, the podcast.
1: We're not going to speculate. Let's just leave it at there. <laughs> like crazy, it is crazy. But honestly, like the world is crazy, Molly. You should oh. know this.
0: Well, not only – okay, these are the – let me give you all of the clues for why she didn't do anything even approaching a range for her husband to be killed. Okay, I'm ready. Lay it on me. First of all, she was a junkie at the time. She was, like, completely addicted Bonified. to heroin. No one who is – whose life is revolving around a drug addiction is going to be organized enough to get away with literal murder of the most famous person alive. Okay. All right. It's just not possible. Second of all, people who are going to murder a loved one are not just going to then go on and live life and never murder anyone else and be like a basically normal person. I mean, she's not normal. She still deals with addiction and everything. But she's – it's like that's serial killer behavior. And if you're going to do it once, you're going to keep doing it. You're going to keep murdering people. Yeah. Also – I don't think there's any proof that they were either getting a divorce or not getting a divorce. Fourth, That was just hearsay. You're right. It's hearsay. Every, cu- every famous couple has divorce rumors basically at all times, especially right. when it's someone as out of control, tumultuous as those two were. Mm-hmm. You're right. And I'm sure they didn't have a prenup. They were fucking out of their minds. True. There's no way they had a prenup. So she would have been entitled to half of his $38 million when he died fortune.
1: Right. If they
0: did get a divorce. So she would have just gotten the divorce. But I really don't think they were going to get a divorce because I think he – so the thing – what our listeners might not know. I'm going to cut a lot of this from the beginning because <laughs>
1: – I know. We we just went off the rails here. <laughs> we went off the rails with conspiracy
0: speculation. So what our listeners might not realize is both Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain basically were completely rejected by both of their parents, both sets of their parents, both of their moms and both of their dads rejected them. So they never had a family. And the thing that Kurt Cobain wanted more than basically anything was just to have a family. He wanted to rebuild and have a family. And he couldn't get off heroin long enough to do it. Like, they lost custody of their daughter, like, basically immediately when she was born because Courtney was doing drugs while she was pregnant with her, allegedly. He was not going to divorce her. He was trying to get their family together and to get them to be normal. But he didn't know how to do that because he was, you know, the most famous man In the the country at that exact moment. And he had such a fucked up upbringing. Mm -hmm. So I just don't think he was going to divorce her. I don't think absolutely she would not have killed him. There would be so many easier ways to solve whatever problem they might have been facing. And it's people don't get away with murder. I don't know. I'm like playing devil's advocate here. I'm definitely... Yeah, sorry, sorry, Keely. Um, <laughs> love- you need to tell your generation to get off YouTube.
1: I know we're so prone to these, <laughs> like Shane Dawson, like absolute rabbit hole trips into like <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: conspiracyville. These friggin' algorithms, are I know, rolling your minds. They're messing us up. Maul. fix it. <laughs> I can't fix it. I'm a dumbass. So. <laughs> Okay, so, okay, let's let's start over a little bit.
1: <laughs> a little bit. All right, let's go back to her ridiculous diva behavior, to yes. what the podcast is about.
0: Yeah, so, well, the podcast is about, it's about diva behavior, the fun version of diva behavior, which is like swanning around in a feather boa and bossing people around, and the dark side of diva behavior, which is getting blamed and used as a scapegoat because you're a woman, and because you're a successful woman who speaks her mind. Right. And I think Courtney Love has done both of those things many times.
1: Yeah, I I feel like just because she is so outspoken that there tends to be that veer towards the absolute shit dump of whatever bad thing is going on in her life onto her personally. Whereas, you know, if we look at men who have done very similar things, if not the exact same thing, they're not held to the even close degree of accountability that she's been held to. Exactly. Which is
0: fascinating, I think. Right. Um, Last week with our episode on Marilyn Monroe, we talk about how Marilyn, she had an accidental overdose. Right. And no one was blamed for that but herself. I know. Whereas if the genders were reversed, her most recent spouse, if, if, if she was a man, her most recent spouse would have been blamed for it and would still be being blamed for it.
1: hmm
0: Yeah. So then you see that happening with – it's like Yoko Ono syndrome, you know? Everyone says Yoko broke up the Beatles. Like, no, she didn't. The Beatles were grown-ups. They decided to break up. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think with Kurt Cobain, he was dealing with, like, insane, terrible depression that was never going to probably go away without a really great intervention, which wasn't happening. And mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: Yeah. There's so much to be said for that. We could, talk with that. We could spend this yeah. whole podcast talking about that dynamic. It's I so know. multifaceted.
0: Well, so on your point of the things that, that women don't get away with, that men do, you have put in this example of her punching someone in the – can you explain her feud with Oh, um, yes. Kathy Hannah, she punched Kathleen Hannah in the face. Yeah, so in 1995 Lollapalooza
1: in Chicago, there was an incident in which Kathleen Hanna, who if you don't know who that is, she's the lead singer of Bikini Kill, most iconic Riot girl band of the early 90s. Courtney Love punched Kathleen Hanna in the face for allegedly saying something about her daughter, Frances. Um, Kathleen Hanna was so... That's like Cardi B and Nicki Minaj feud 1.0. I know, it... According to Courtney Love, there was a the the comment about her daughter involved, but Kathleen Hanna says that never happened. There were a bunch of different court documents that I had the utmost privilege of going through for my senior thesis at NYU. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, But I went through all those documents. And basically, Kathleen Hanno's calling Courtney Love an absolute crazy person. And it was like, she's out of control. She needs to go to anger management class. And actually, the uh, Grant County Court in Ephrata, Washington... Agreed that she should seek anger management counseling, and that was the decision that was based on like a bunch of other different behaviors. A month prior, she was hospitalized for an accidental drug overdose. A couple this months like
0: two, this is like a year after Kurt Cobain died, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then previously, she
1: was accused by a teenager of punching him in the face during a concert in Orlando, Florida, and then. <laughs> Two months prior to that, which would have been less than a year after Kurt's death, she pleaded guilty in Australia to a charge of swearing at a flight attendant who asked her to take her feet down from a jetliner wall. (laughs) <gasps> oh my god, I love that! I know what a what a sequence of events. It's yeah, beautiful.
0: I mean, so I'm sure that at the time she was portrayed as this out of control, horrible diva, Definitely. and it's like no, she was a grieving, depressed widow. I know that was because right after Kurt killed himself, her one of her albums was released, and it was like one of her biggest albums ever for her Let band. Look at this! Let's yeah. this amazing yeah, record. Right. And so she had to, she, she went and did the press cycle for that whole album right after he killed himself.
1: Yeah. There's this really fascinating clip of her doing an interview, I think with ABC news, I believe. And the interviewer is like, you know, did you get to say anything? And she's like, she's like, I could have done this. I could have done that. You know, I, I could think about that forever. Um, and he was like, did you get to say anything nice to him before? And she was just like, no.
0: Yeah, that, had- that
1: to me was very believable, like, especially considering what she had, you know, gone through and then was about to go through with all of these different, you yeah. know, alter- altercations, if you will, in air quotes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she was acting out because she needed to she needed a break and she needed to actually properly grieve, but no one was giving her that chance.
1: Sure. Yeah. No, I, she really should not have gone through with the release cycle. I I think she definitely needed
0: a vacation of the mind, if you will. Did you ever see her interview with Barbara Walters from like 97, probably?
1: Maybe. I've watched so much of her
0: stuff. Remind me. so (laughs) crazy. So Barbara Walters, I wrote down a bunch of the choice quotes. Barbara Walters is so rude in it and you know I'm never one to call any journalist rude because it's like we have to ask rude questions we have to ask uncomfortable questions but Barbara Walters takes it to the most insane level so she opens the segment by saying for the first time Courtney tells us why her superstar husband Kurt Cobain committed suicide she says it was her fault and tonight she reveals why oh god that's rough like insane insane of barbara walters to put that on her she doesn't say it was her fault at all barbara walters also says in the intro most of kurt cobain's friends saw courtney as a manipulative groupie who got lucky like no she was not she was not a groupie they were they met because they were both performing at the same place
1: yeah i mean there there were some moments where she was um very much so following him him around um but when Um, so for example, um, I know that I think they did a West Coast, Nirvana did a West Coast tour and it hadn't been that long after they had met and Courtney was pretty much there the whole time. Now, I really don't know what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So obviously I don't know what the relationship was. They might've already been together, but I could see how from an outsider's perspective, it might look like she's just a literal groupie. But like you said, she had her own
0: solid music career. Yeah. Critically acclaimed. She's good. She's good. She's a good musician. And it just reminds me of the John Lennon thing. Like Kurt Cobain and John Lennon are so similar because they both kind of were, I think, I mean, this is, Sort of extrapolating something that I don't actually know. But I think from what I've researched on both Kurt Cobain and John Lennon, they were in search of strong mother figures in their partners. And they both wanted someone who was a really strong, smart, intelligent woman. Like, that's what John found in Yoko Ono. He had never met a woman who was that, like, artistic and, you know, self-assured before Right, And I think that's what Kirk Cobain found in Courtney Love. Because if you look at his sort of personality and what he was like, he couldn't have dated, you know, like a quiet, nice woman. He kind of needed a woman who was going to, like, take life by the balls. And that's what Courtney was. And
1: right.
0: he really loved her. And she got demonized for it because yeah. people thought that he should be, I guess, like more of the alpha in the relationship.
1: Yeah, he definitely was not the alpha.
0: Yeah, no way. I don't yeah. think he would have been. He was so, like, fragile.
1: I know. It makes me so sad. He was such a fa- – like, I have a, a complete collection of his, um, like, journals from oh, yeah. throughout the years. Like, someone had published it, and I was bought a copy one Christmas. It was a depressing Christmas. Um <laughs> um and just like reading through that with his thoughts on like society and shit he was so ahead of the curve like in terms of everything I mean Courtney was too there's you know there's a um clip from her one of her red carpet appearances in 2005 and she was asked if she had any advice to give young women who want to become like Hollywood actresses and She said, I'll get libeled if I say it. If Harvey Weinstein invites you to a private party in the Four Seasons, don't go. Yeah. I love that. Like, way ahead of the curve. God, we're talking, you know, 12 years on.
0: Yeah. And the thing about Kurt is he was very feminist and pro-LGBTQ at a time when it was considered very radical and fringe to have his and he was really tr- like bringing that into the mainstream, and you know she's a little bit less politicized than he was. But right. I had his—I read his journals in high school, and the main thing that I remember is that he. This is so weird. He had a hamster, or <laughs> <laughs> that had like a prolapsed uterus, right. and the uterus would come out, and he would poke it back in with an with an eraser, a pencil eraser. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I know. That's, like, the one thing that stuck with me from his diaries, though. I was, like, it just, like, scarred me. (laughs) (laughs) I took a ton of his music references. Like, he was really into this band called the Butthole
1: Surfers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're good. They're not bad. Yeah, yeah. Locust abortion technician, fantastic record.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My friend told me about them when I was little and I didn't believe they were real. She was like, yeah, <laughs> my dad listens to a band called Butthole Surfers. And I was like, no, he doesn't.
1: <laughs> no, he doesn't. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think it's fascinating, though, that they were so ahead, like, in terms of, like, mentality on pop yeah. culture and, like, transparency. Like, yeah. And, and for that statement, you know, Courtney Love was banned by the Creative Artists Agency. Like, the she most... was? The most... Yeah. She was... Uh, it's like the most massive representation agency in Hollywood. They pull all the strings.
0: God. That's so
1: fascinating. And, you know, like, that really mm. coincides, too, with when she, start, when she stopped appearing in movies. Like, mm-hmm. right after that statement, she also did another stint in rehab. She's a good actor. Yeah, she's not bad. Was yeah. it People versus Larry Flint. She was amazing.
0: Yeah. She's she looked amazing too. Oof. She really did. She she talked a lot about being homely and growing up homely, but I think she's such a good example of someone who just has such a cool look. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't call her homely at all. And I think she she's so good at deciding what she wanted to look like and going for it. And one thing I really loved about her when I started to connect more with her as a punk rock figure instead of just a pop culture person was the fact that she was into rock music but she wore makeup and she cared what she looked like do you know what I mean yeah because I feel like when I was younger and when I was really into like getting more into kind of like alternative music and indie music there's very much probably probably not as much anymore but this like toxic male ideal that when that girls are perfect when they don't have makeup on kind of thing right and like all these really skinny little like boobless scenster girls with like no makeup and just air-dried hair are always like floating around looking amazing at <laughs> all of those sort of like in shows, you know what I mean? Right. And like, well, what if I just want a full contour? Is there a place for me in in the rock world? And Courtney, <laughs> so the- there is. I know.
1: I, I think that's the most fascinating. Part about her influence within the musical sphere is she really did usher in this whole new era of D G A F <laughs> type. <laughs> God, it's so cringy when you say it out loud. Um, <laughs> but she really did usher in this whole era of yes, I can care about what I look like, but I'm also gonna tell you what the f I think. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be so unapologetic with how I feel. And especially considering the terrain of what music was like in the early 90s when she was coming up with Hole, like I said, Bikini Kill was a massive thing. They they formed a little bit south of a, of Seattle and in, in Olympia at Evergreen University, Evergreen State College. I'm sorry. <laughs> and she even has this quote in Spin Magazine, Courtney, talking about the Riot Girl thing, which is like yeah, antithesis of what how Courtney loves.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, how does she fit in with the riot girl scene? Can you give us a little one hundred and one Seattle and Portland music what, early nineties? Oh yeah, right here. Yeah,
1: okay. So in the like beginning of the nineties, almost end of the eighties, a massive uh, movement was coming out of, like I just said, uh, Evergreen State College in Olympia, which is an hour and a half south of Seattle, and basically it was all of these. Um, like really radical thinking women um who coined themselves as the riot grrrl movement and their uh basically entire uh ethos was punk rock is for everyone we're going to like basically flip the idea of punk rock being just a male space on its head and we're gonna say what we want to say it kind of flopped in terms of being a movement at the helm of it was kathleen hannah of bikini kill they're arguably the most popular riot girl band and you know we're they're not the-
0: super well known
1: they're not super well-known, which I think speaks volumes to the movement in and of itself. It was very much underground. Yeah. It was, you know, this was, we're talking about early 90s. We didn't really have the technology like we do today to spread things about movements. We didn't
0: have hashtags. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, I think anytime you put the movement before the art, the art suffers. So it doesn't get that popular. Do you know exactly, what I mean?
1: Exactly. Like it's um, one
0: thing to be a feminist and be a musician and be a feminist and be a comedian. But it's another to be like, I'm going to make feminist comedy. That's when it becomes like, okay, but is it going to be good? It really only matters if it's good.
1: Exactly. So yeah, I mean, I think Courtney Love caught right on that. And there's a Uh, cover profile that spin magazine did on her in 1994 and she's saying but then the whole riot girl thing is so dot 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 well for one thing the women's studies program at evergreen state college olympia where a lot of these bands come from is notorious for being one of the worst programs in the country it's man-hating and it doesn't produce very intelligent people in that field oh my Um, god yeah so she's this is her literally dragging like Bikini Kill, if you know Slater Kinney, they came out of the same aura, echo chamber type thing. Yeah. Um, See,
0: see, what I hear when I, when you read that quote is, and it's completely understandable. I hear Courtney Love being sort of sad that she wasn't, couldn't be included in this because she was never going to go to college. You know, she's never going to go through a women's studies program because she had like the shittiest upbringing ever. And, I totally understand why she feels compelled to denigrate that, to be like, oh, you think you're going to make punk rock music coming out of a liberal arts college? Yeah. You know, like, I, there's a lot of hurt there for her.
1: Yeah, I can see that, too. I mean, the crazy thing is that, like I was talking about Bikini Kill, being at the helm of the movement, Kathleen Hanna was really good friends with Kurt Cobain.
0: Oh, and, really?
1: And Kurt Cobain actually at one point dated the drummer of bikini kill Toby Vale for yeah. a, a decent amount of time. So there was almost a bit of contention there. I feel like that was the ground was laid for it and then Courtney just, you know, ran with it, I think yeah. in terms of <laughs> stirring the pot, if you will. Yeah,
0: which I love her for. She is the best. She is one of the best celebrities we have. True. True. She does not stop giving. <laughs> She just is constantly giving us things to talk about, constantly giving people controversy. I was thinking it would be so great to interview her, but then I was like, I don't even know if I could, because when you watch interviews with her, it's so jarring because she's so herself and she doesn't hold back and she doesn't lie ever. She's 100% herself and she does not give a fuck. Whenever she's paired with an interviewer who's not like that, they clam up and it's the funniest thing to watch if you watch this interview with this guy torre from fuse he's very mtv vj he's like do you ever think that maybe you're your biggest enemy and she's like yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and he's like okay so and she's like yeah so it's just so funny because he's trying to sort of catch her out and get her to say something embarrassing. And it's like, no, this is a woman who's beyond embarrassment. You cannot embarrass her. She does not care.
1: No, not at all. Like there, there's, that's the whole thing with like putting it all out there and just like being who you want to be is like, no one can come for you for it. Like you, if you own even the most dismal parts of yourself, you're unstoppable, you're unbreakable. And I think that's the like, yeah. most admirable thing about her is no matter like, what she's gone through in terms of like what society would think is like crappy behavior, she, she's just like come out on top every single time. There are not a lot of women that can do that in today's day and age, if you will. Yeah. A lot of other people would get completely thrown under the bus and never make it back out.
0: But she also kind of hasn't made it. She's sort of always been under the bus and she's kind of happy to be there. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, yeah. She is kind of always the she's she's an anti-hero for sure. Right, right. Nobody's gonna nobody's giving her a lifetime achievement award at the Grammys, you know.
1: Yeah, true.
0: It's never gonna happen. But she seems happy to occupy that spot and I think it's great because she right. just truly does not care about what anyone thinks of her.
1: I know, and I think the like, almost transparency I think for a lot of people would be extremely detrimental. But I, but it yeah. works for her. But yeah, it, I and that's something that I don't fully understand. She's got this insane position as having this legacy within the realm of Hollywood, but it's almost like an anti-legacy. You know yeah. what I mean? It's very interesting. I yeah. I would be scared to talk to her, quite frankly. Me too, me too. I would be terrified yeah. but in a good way. She's so powerful, it's
0: intimidating. Definitely. It's admirable. You know what I mean? She Yeah, 100%. I was watching this documentary that she did for a British TV station. I forget what what it was, but I'll send it to you, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And it was from, like, 2006 or something, and she's, like, clearly on drugs the whole time. And she keeps talking about how she's not on drugs. She's always saying she's not on drugs, and you can, like, tell she's on drugs. Mm -hmm. Like, there's clips in it from the roast of Pamela Anderson, which she went to. Have you seen those? Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. She's also still hilarious whenever she's super fucked up. She's still quick witted and everything. But so in this documentary, they show her going over to Carrie Fisher's house and Carrie Fisher is giving her advice on because Carrie Fisher also very publicly went through drug addiction and everything and had everybody ripping her to shreds. And I think one thing that says a lot about her actual character is that she does have so many high profile friends. Mm -hmm. And so many people are willing to stump for her and say, yeah, she's a good person. Because I think the reason why she is able to be so much herself is that who she is is not that bad of a person.
1: Right. You know, like,
0: she's definitely probably a nightmare to date. But, like, aren't we all? Aren't we all? She's a handful. She's (laughs) probably – Slightly more egocentric than the average person. But I don't think she's really hurting anyone. And I think that's why she does kind of get to be the bad girl. And if you really scratch the surface, it's like, okay, what's really so bad about her?
1: Yeah. She seems
0: like kind of a really fun, great person.
1: Right. And I think a really interesting example of that in terms of someone taking up her torch and really riding for her as of late is Lana Del Rey. Like, yes. She invited her on tour um, in 2015 for her. Lana uh, invited Courtney on tour, right? Oh, yeah. um, And this happened uh, very close to after Lana made those comments, you know, saying that she wishes she was dead and
0: oh yeah and Lana said I wish I was dead or I wish Courtney Love was dead I wish I was dead what
1: oh no yeah well this was uh right after that ultraviolence album cycle release she did an interview with the Guardian and I I think that quote was um like misattributed to like the context of what she was talking about and that's what she has said as well
0: yeah, um, that's like rarely true
1: I, I know you know I, I want to give her know. the benefit of the doubt I really do I ride for Lana so hard everyone knows this that does me <laughs> but anyways um yeah so after that happened Francis Cobain really came after Lana like absolutely like destroyed her like what saying yeah was absolutely like really pissed off that she was romanticizing the idea of death and that it was detrimental to like her fan base and I remember this and she was like you know saying like all of this stuff about her dad and uh Lana was like that's not what I meant um that was completely misattributed whatever I mean who knows yeah who who knows really what happened um I mean it was it dark moment for yeah for me personally
0: um (laughs) i mean ultra violence was incredibly dark it was honestly to me that album was almost off-putting and how dark it was i can listen to it now it's so good it's a it's a great piece of work and it's a great album but at the time that it came out i was like this is too dark but i love it still like it's 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 such an amazing piece of god i i I could talk forever about that um to it all the time it was just right when it came out i was like Oh my God, is she okay? Yeah. So how did Francis and Lana and Courtney end up sort of making amends?
1: Right. Um, so I think Francis kind of let it ride after Lana basically apologized to her. And that that was right before Courtney and Lana started uh, being like spotted together. Like they were like hanging out at one point. There was... I think a birthday party they attended that they went to together, um, for someone within the industry. Um, and then right after that, it was announced that Courtney was going to join Lana on tour. And I think, um, I think between Lana and Courtney, there's such a fascinating connection. You know, Lana's dealt with a bit of addiction. Um, has she, Oh God. Yeah. God. Yeah. What way? She, um, was an alcoholic in high school. Um, she went to boarding school, um, in Connecticut, um, for her drinking problem, which didn't help anything. Cause you know, at boarding school, it's like (laughs) direct access to pretty much anything you want, um, in terms of the people that are there. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, if you just listen to Lana's like discography, there's tons of mentions of like addiction and like healing yeah. for them to get together was very fascinating in that I think Lana is completely sympathetic to Courtney and Courtney's completely sympathetic to Lana. Like mm. they, they, there seems to be a common understanding of, especially with Lana's she was drugged through the mud when she first came out in terms of herself and her artistry and, and whether or authentic- not it was authenticity. Exactly. In terms of whether she was being authentic and I think that was a very similar problem for Courtney, too, is because, you know, she was putting on this whole, like, like we were saying, the kinder whore look, um, the baby doll dresses, Lana's very well known for the baby doll look, mm-hmm. um, you know, the big, fancy, like winged eyeliner and ridiculously massive eyelashes. <laughs> and all of this stuff, I think they just bonded over. I-, I think it makes sense that they would be, you know, a force together. And yeah. that tour was so good. <laughs> Courtney had some rough moments. She basically told everyone in the audience at one of the, store- the tour stops, "F off if they were wearing a flower crown," <laughs> like, <laughs> which I mean, that's Lana's fan base. I know, but it's so
0: funny. Like she's it's, just it's hysterical. So
1: yeah, I know. I thought it was hysterical. Everyone
0: was so buttered. <laughs> like, yeah, that's so funny. I love I that. Over it. In terms of her personality, which has made her. As big of a star, if not more so than her music, I think that has a lot to do with not really having parents who are paying attention to you. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because she's just, she's like a naughty kid all the time. <laughs> you know, she's like in her, what is she? She was born in this mid 60s. So she's in her 50s and she's still yeah. acting like a little kid who's, you know, the bad kid in kindergarten class. And I think right. it, it's it works for her and it it makes her kind of lovable and it makes her a lightning rod for controversy and press coverage and everything right i i've been noticing with most of the people that i'm featuring on this podcast have a broken home or a bad childhood <sighs> yeah i mean from pressure makes diamonds you know yeah <laughs> and i think a big part of it is with her you know she cannot stop courting fame which is fine. I'm not saying that's bad or anything. It's just like when she like in that um British documentary of her, she's literally inviting this guy into her house and she's telling him everything. She's yeah. telling him everything. And she gives so many interviews and she's just always an open book, which is mm-hmm. a great quality in a star and we love it, but it's probably not great for your mental health and it definitely contributes to the demonization of her that happens. Because the more of yourself that you put out there, the more of yourself is going to be dissected and it's going to drive you nuts, you know? And I think if she had a little bit more of a foundation of parents who were there or family members who were something to fall back on, she wouldn't be as open, which would probably be a little bit better for her. Right.
1: Yeah. I don't, I, I feel like having a solid foundation definitely would have helped her in terms of just constantly I think grasping for the next big thing you know it seems like she's always she's always chasing fame not it's not even like courting it because she's she's well known she's got it it's just like she's chasing the next level yeah like sometimes and like you said it's not it's not a bad thing I just like we said the she thrives under the bus like she really does and that dichotomy does not work for everyone it works for her which like I said, is, like, super admirable. But at the same time, like, I wonder, like, what all of that chasing has done, like you said, for her mental health. Like, is there a better way to go about that? Right.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I think it's, you know, she just has a really... She she could stop being famous if she wanted to, is the thing. Oh, yeah. she clearly doesn't want to. Yeah, no, the most recent thing she did was that well, I don't know if
1: this is the most recent, but the bigger thing I saw was she did the Gucci campaign with Lana <laughs> and Jared Leto. Oh,
0: I need to look at that.
1: Well, she's literally just the waitress in it because, like, Lana and Jared Leto are sitting in this old, old-timey, old like, diner in L.A. And they're, like, <laughs> like, just ordering coffee, and Courtney loves in the full waitress uniform just pouring coffee. Oh, my God,
0: I have to look for that. That's so cute.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, especially in terms of like where she stands. If we're look if we're looking at that as like a like I don't know like where she stands in terms of like fame.
0: <laughs> like she's yeah. just
1: pouring the, she's pouring the coffee to the next generation of like crazy DG, DGAF. God, I need to stop saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> crazy, pe- you know, like people and who are just- chasing
0: fame. And she's a fixture. She's the waitress. She's just always there. She's always in the fame land. Exactly. I think that's a really good analogy, a fixture. Yeah, she's just permanent. And I love it. I think it's great. Have you seen any of the stuff um, about all the songs that are about her from the 90s? There are so many. There are songs by both Nine Inch Nails and Tori Amos calling her a star fucker, which pisses me off so much yeah because it's like why where is anyone calling trent reznor a star fucker where yeah. is anyone calling kurt cobain a star fucker they've all the, the thing is you you hook up with and you date people who are in your scene and when you're a famous grunge musician you're going to hook up with all the other famous grunge musicians
1: right and i think it, that i think that really does go back though to the whole like um she ushered in a whole new era of like women that were at the front of the stage like she was a star in her own right mm-hmm. and i i feel like in the early 90s the the um terrain was shifting so much you know like women were up until that point almost like 100% i mean aside from like madonna and the like crazy superstars were relegated to the back you yeah. know um so like for her to like just pick up the torch and just absolutely run with it um, I think pissed a lot of people off because they couldn't do it
0: yeah it was it, 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 yeah yeah and she she played her own instrument and wrote her own songs and she was the creative force behind Hole and even if you look at like Janis Joplin she wasn't writing music if you right. look at Stevie Nicks in Fleetwood Mac it was a more collaborative effort I think it probably just pissed people off a cocaine lot. Yeah, she was collaborating with cocaine. (laughs) That was her main collaborative partner. And witchcraft. And (laughs) so I think with Courtney, people were pissed because not only was she doing something unheard of, which is being a front woman, being feminine, still hooking up with whoever she wanted to hook up with and being good at it. And she was being probably kind of a dick because she's just an abrasive person I think it's a recipe for just pissing lots of people off for
1: sure and I think it really does come down to almost jealousy too she she like got what she wanted and I think for a lot of people that people tend to take that personally yeah you know they take that situation and look at themselves and they're like well I can't I
0: must be something wrong with her (laughs) yeah exactly did you know Holla back girl is about her shut up I know, well, no this is way. what I, but apparently at some point, Courtney Love had this quote because she was coming up around the same time, or no, Gwen Stefani was a little later than Courtney Love, like no doubt came out, got really big a little bit later right. than whole. Courtney in an interview said about Gwen Stefani, she was like, oh yeah, she's kind of a cheerleader and I don't understand kind of what she's doing in the, in the rock scene. And Gwen Stefani apparently was very irked by that. And when she was being interviewed about Hollaback Girl, someone was like, what's the song about? And she said, one time somebody said that I was a cheerleader and I never was a cheerleader. But I decided for this song, fine, I'll be a cheerleader. Wow. So it's like the whole song is a clap back to Courtney Love.
1: Interesting. I know. Wow.
0: And it's kind of like, why would you let... I love Hollaback Girl and I love Gwen Stefani, but it's kind of funny to let that little offhanded comment get under your skin that much.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me, I think, especially for the time period, like we were saying. I think it was just such an interesting time for women musicians, especially if we look at the underpinnings of the Riot Grrrl movement and the women who came out on top of that were the exact opposite. They were literally the catalyst, the anti-catalyst for all of that. So I think without... Riot Courtney, Girl was? Yeah. I think without Courtney having been so absolutely contrarian to that and coming out on top, she did better than most of them in terms of ho- household name recognition, oh, I think. Oh, yeah. In, in, no in yeah. No contest. Yeah, no contest. But I think that for a lot of people, it it was something that hadn't been done before from the rock grunge genre, you know? Yeah. I I just think it really does come down to like envy. Yeah. For Courtney. She's
0: gorgeous, you know. She she got what she wanted for yeah, sure. Yeah. She did. She's doing good. She's talking to Frances Bean again, right? They're on good terms again. Yeah, they've been hanging out. That's good. This has been so great. This has been crazy. I think everyone's gonna learn a lot about Courtney Love and Probably too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I hope the Skype recording worked. Me too. <laughs> okay, thanks, Keely. Some people think Diva's a bitch. a Diva to you? Would you say, are you one? I never said that. Diva behavior. Great, great gowns, beautiful gowns. <gasps> of course, I don't trust you. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Planning for your next trip?